Hey. Yeah, no, I, I just got to the... Well, I just got here. So I'm going to get started. He's going to be here before we even know it. And I just need to get warmed up and kind of, I guess, give people a rundown of what's going to be happening. Yeah, no, I'll, I'm going to be right in there and recording in no time. Okay. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. historical means we're going to tell you history. We're going to tell you history of Valentine's Day, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the Massacre in Your Home, WWF. We're also going to just talk on a couple of other things as well. So I think you guys will all enjoy this little history lesson that we bring you of lightness, darkness, and then I even tell a funny little tale maybe. Who even knows? Stay tuned, witches. It's going to get lesson of what Valentine's Day kind of means to us and well I guess not what it means to us exactly but maybe different you know memorable events that have happened on this day so crap keeper what are you going to be talking about today I mean we're not going to go into the whole story yet but what what was your what were you covering well I thought we uh being St. Valentine's Day we should uh maybe uh bring up the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Okay. I got you on that one. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically do some, I guess, bookends on each side of that. I'm going to start with uh, the history of Valentine's Day. And then I'm also going to talk about kind of a monumental day in wrestling as well. And uh, one of these days was actually called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of WWF. And uh, we'll go into more of that in just a moment. So I guess I should start off with the history of Valentine's Day. So 2,000 years ago, the Romans, the most powerful army, they, 
I guess started to become kind of rich and lazy. The soldiers wanted love, they wanted the comfort of family, home, and they had one great leader. And this leader, his name was Claudius II. He did not want soldiers to get married because he, you know, didn't want his army to become weakened by, you know, the comforts of home. And being a soldier was a pretty rough life. It wasn't an easy time. And so he basically made a law and he decided that no soldiers were allowed to get married. He wanted to make sure that they continued to serve his army and he was the most powerful army in the world at that point. Um, and so somebody was not quite so happy with this. And this gentleman's name was Bishop Valentine. And Bishop Valentine believed that all men and women who were in love should be able to get married. So he basically kind of took it, you know, Claudius II's, you know, law and was like, hey, you know, this guy, he's, he's emperor. He's the main man. But, you know, I believe that if you guys are really in love, you could probably keep a secret, right? So you can come to my church, you can get married, and, you know, just keep it on, keep it on the down low. Well, as we know, secrets don't always stay. The more people involved in the secret, the more that it's likely the secret will probably get out. So, what ended up happening was St. Valentine was then, or not St. Valentine, Bishop Valentine was then brought in front of Claudius II, and he was arrested. He was told that he had to stop marrying soldiers. He could marry people in his church, but he just couldn't marry his soldiers because he didn't believe that the soldiers should be able to be married. He wanted to keep them strong. He wanted to keep his army, and he felt like love just made people lazy. And so he told them, you know, hey, if you start to pray to the gods and you have everyone else pray to the gods of Rome, then we'll let you go. Well, Bishop Valentine was like, yeah, that's not going to happen, buddy. Like, I'm sorry, but I believe in love, and I believe that love should be able to conquer all. So, Claudius was like, well, if you don't want to listen to me, you're going to go to jail, and then you're going to be executed. So, he sent him to jail, and waited his day of execution. During this time that he was in jail, he ended up actually having a woman that was kind of, she was a daughter of somebody, so she had some value of you know, to people, but because she was blind, they didn't really think she was worthy of much. So they basically had her deliver um, meals to Bishop Valentine while he was waiting his execution. During this time, they started to talk. They fell in love. And basically, at one point, Bishop Valentine had put his hand through the bars and put it on this woman's eyes and when she had opened her eyes she was able to see a miracle had happened and you know there was no way that he was going to get out of his execution the execution was going to be happening no matter what so what he ended up doing was the last night that he was on earth february 13th he ended up writing a letter to his love and he basically signed it, your Valentine, and his execution date was then on February 14th. So ever since then, lovers have wrote letters to people on Valentine's Day and signed it, your Valentine. And so this is kind of where it all started from, was from St. Valentine. So the year was 270, and ever since, this has been the tradition. So I, you know, thought that was kind of amazing. 
So what did you find out, Crypt Keeper, on, I guess, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? We obviously know that this is a holiday that started off as love. But then, one of the biggest mafia, I guess, massacres. Right, well, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre is, uh, uh, everybody seems like they've heard of it. Um, but how much do they really know about it? It, um, it was actually, um, it was about 10.30 a.m. on February the 14th, 1929. And four men dressed up as police <laughs> entered the Gangster Bugs Moran's head, headquarters on North Clark Street in Chicago. They lined seven of Moran's henchmen against the wall and shot them to death. Damn. So this was like, line them up, shoot them dead. No one gets really any, any real, like, I guess, pleading? Uh, no, there was not much pleading going on, that's for sure. Well, they, what happened then also is they went ahead and, um, like I said, they shot all seven of them to death. They lined them up against the wall and, uh, they, it began. Um, they have, there was always a right arch rival between Al Capone and Bugs Moran. Now, Al, and that was all uh, over uh, territory. Um, that was uh, the north and the south of Chicago. And uh, each one wanted a uh, little more of their share. And uh, so, uh, Bugs Moran was to meet um, somebody over there and he was going to get a real good deal on some alcohol, which that's uh, what Bugs Moran really leaned into a lot. Was this uh, Prohibition times or? Yeah, it was about, to, it was still in Prohibition times. And what happened then too is they were all going to meet in uh, Bugs Moran, Moran's <coughs> Um, his his place, his headquarters. Well, what happened is he bugs overslept that day. So as he was going by there, they were driving by. They noticed that the police were uh, out uh, over there. Well, it actually was not the police. They were uh, part of Capone's uh, gang, and what they did was uh, they pretended they were police officers. Two of them were in police uniforms and uh, they had a police squad car out in front. Uh, the two other gunmen uh, were just wearing regular suits. Well, when Bugs started coming down the street, he saw the police cars out in front he didn't, he thought it was actually the police, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. It was, uh, and that was the only thing that saved his life is that he went ahead and overslept that day. Wow. Out of all so, the days to oversleep. That's it. You know, and, uh, you know, the, they, they were all taken by surprise out of this. Capone was also because he, he was just looking for, uh, Moran. 
and, and Moran never showed up because he thought the police were there. So uh, the shooting began and it was an, just an ugly mess. Uh, they had Tommy guns, uh, these four gunmen of Capones, they had Tommy guns, um, a sawed-off shotgun, a 45 caliber pistol, and all directed at the seven men that they had lined up against the wall. Some 150 shots were fired at them. It is believed that each of them had an average of 15 bullets in them. Two of them were finished off with the shotgun. Um, this would be the last time that Capone and Moran ever faced off. And uh, Capone was jailed. They tried to get him on everything and anything. Um, his, um, like his business card uh, even showed that he was a, uh, a furniture salesperson. Wow. But um, he, he took quite a bit of heat um, because of the fact that um, the people in the area and the different uh, different organizations were looking at him saying, hey, you know what, this is, you know, this is wrong. You can't, uh, you know, you open up the door for <coughs> everybody to gun everybody down. Mm -hmm. So uh, Capone decided that he was... Um, he was fighting going into, um, you know, going into jail because of the fact that, hey, he had it made, you know. He was out and just having a good time. and But the pressure and everything came through, and uh, they said that they would uh, cut him um, some slack as far as uh, him uh, trying to, you know, try, them trying to get him for murder. Um, so what he was, they went ahead and they uh, jailed him for tax evasion. That was the only thing they ever got him on. That is a, that's kind of one of those things where I feel like there should almost be like a rap song that he, you know, had wrote afterwards, almost like how Jay-Z did. Because I think I had told you about that with Jay-Z where I'm like, he's like, he's like Godfather like status. Like he stabbed a guy, told him. He broke his heart while he did it, and then wrote a rap song about it and had it hit number one on the charts. I feel like yeah. Capone's almost that status to where he's like, you know, and I only got hit with the tax evasion. Right, and uh, so, you know, he was uh, spending some time in jail, and um, but that was the... The, the last time that Capone and Moran ever really faced off at uh, each other. Dang. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> his health was getting bad while he was in jail. And in 1947, he passed away just after his 48th birthday. Wow. So, boy, he, uh, he didn't live that long. No, I didn't actually, I guess, realize the timelines on some of those either, which was interesting to see how they all fell and then how he ended up uh, dying so young. For some reason, I just, I didn't know that. Well, they claimed that he, uh, his health got really bad. Uh, there was rumors, and we don't know how good they are, but uh, that they were, uh, that he had syphilis and he oh. died of syphilis, but... Um, Oh, that's syphilis. Most of the time, they just come right out and said, you know, he's 
his body was just, um, he had something in it and it just sucked him dry, yeah. basically. And um, so he died in, in uh, 47. Um, and then Moran, he uh, died in 1957. Wow, so 10 years later. And he was 65 um, years of age. Wow. And he died in jail of, of uh, uh, lung cancer. So they never faced off in jail then or saw each other really in jail no. then? It sounds like at all. No, they didn't. And uh, the ironic part about it is he died with uh, just about $100 to his name. Wow. And out of all the money that had been changing hands because of the prohibition. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the what they used to call rum rudders. Um, so that's... That was pretty much for both of them. And then as time goes on, you know, uh, they're, they're replaced by other people that were coming up into the, uh, the gangs. Yeah, because I mean, it's almost like a business or like a, I don't know, almost like a king's court in a way where you have to have everybody having a position apart managing something to have it all run smoothly so when you do have someone that you know retires exits I guess gets executed then somebody else has to come into that and so it's almost too like a king of court too where sometimes I imagine somebody will take someone out so that they can move up through the ranks quicker well <laughs> you know there was a lot of uh, people dying that's for sure on, on all the different sides <laughs> You know, like they kept getting a little, trying a little greedier. You know, trying to, trying to take take things out. In prohibition, there was a lot of money uh, involved in that. Uh, there was speakeasies. There was, uh, gosh, uh, you name it. Uh, and actually, I don't know if you knew this, but they used to get cars that were set up just for what they call rum runners. And what they would do is these cars would be set up. They would uh, go out in a, a lot of the country areas and everything, and, and they would buy the uh, stuff, they, you know, their alcohol, mm -hmm. which uh, they were trying to refine it the best they could, but they wanted to sell it in a hurry, too. Yeah. So they would just have their stills out there. Ah. And, they would, and then they would uh, have it run into town. Well, the police knew uh, that there are a lot of cars they really souped up for that. You know? Yeah. And a lot of them didn't even have any seats in other than the driver's seat. And the rest were all filled with uh, cases of booze and also in the, the uh, trunk. And they would try to do everything they could to the cars to make them faster to outrun the police. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you had heard about this, but um, that was the birth of NASCAR. You know, I kind of, I remember something along the lines of it being tied in with the history of it. But for some reason, I always just thought it was like one of those like random things that someone had like maybe said together that I put together so that is really where NASCAR kind of started right it was uh, you know souping up cars and see who had the, the fastest and um, but it was it was quite the um, that is very interesting 
So, I guess I should go into my part, which is next, which is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in your house, which was the 27th pay-per-view event that was produced by the World Wrestling Federation. This took place on February 14th, 1999. And this was kind of a big event for me personally because I love who one of these people is. But what was interesting was when I did go ahead and start to pull up the Wikipedia on this, they say that this title of the event alludes to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1929, which saw seven people murdered as part of a gang war between Al Capone and Bugs Moran. So, just as you were saying. And so this event saw the WWF, the debut of the one, the only Big Show. So for me personally, I've always thought the Big Show was just a really cool guy. Um, I think there's something about the gentle giantness about him that kind of reminded me of Andre the Giant. But, I mean, and that was one of your favorites, right? Right, right. So, when he did make his debut, they didn't call him the Big Show. They actually called him Paul Wright. And it was the final In Your House event. And what ended up happening with this event is kind of interesting. Because a lot of people, like, you know, I didn't remember that Vince McMahon wrestled at one point. But on this particular event, the main event begins with Vixen and Man not entering the steel ring. And so frustrating Stone Cold Steve Austin, who left the cage to chase McMahon around until McMahon entered the ring, then closed the door and locked Austin out. Austin then tried to climb into the ring, but McMahon punched him off the top, causing him to land awkwardly. McMahon, thinking that Austin was entered, exited the ring, but was met with a clothesline from Austin who then wrapped his neck in a cable and pushed him into the crowd, stomping a mud hole into him, and then pouring a beer over him. McMahon tried to run through the crowd, making it up the steps, but Austin caught him, dragged him back to the ring, throwing him into the barricade and into various bits of the cage. Austin mocked his opponent by sitting him in a seat, allowing McMahon to climb to the outside of the cage. As he reached the top, Austin met up with him, smashed his head into the king cage, or into the cage, Kincaid. I, I I guess I'm going to be talking about Thomas Kincaid next by that one. I don't know. Um, McMahon then bounced and fell off the cage through the announcing table. A gurney was brought out for McMahon, who was, a con- who was unconscious at this point. And they were going to be naming Austin as the main winner. So at this point, what ends up happening is basically the only time I've ever seen this happen. We end up having Big Show tear through the bottom of the mat and enter the ring. And the, you know, fight continues on. I watched it at this point, um, too. So, you know, I won't give you my reading voice anymore because now I'm jazzed about it because I can tell you, you know, I'm pumped up. I watched it. And so uh, what ends up happening is he rips through the ring. And I mean, this guy's huge. Like when he comes through the ring, you're like, when is he going to end? And Vince McMahon, tiny little dude, you know, and then you got Stone Cold Steve Austin, who 
He's a good sized dude. So when you see Big Show come out, you're just like, oh snap, this is, this is a different level of man. And so he ends up throwing Stone Cold against the door at one point of this. The door cracks open, he lands outside of it, and Stone Cold wins. And I mean, Paul Wright didn't have an issue with this. This is his debut. This is a monumental moment. And one of the things that he has never had an issue with is losing. I mean, he he comes out there. He puts on a big show. And you don't always have to win when you're going to be in that type of a position. And I think that's maybe why he was one of my favorite wrestlers. Another one of my favorite wrestlers, The Rock. And, you know, we can get into him later. But I think we all, you know, we got to talk about who the ultimate favorite wrestler of our household is. And it's The Undertaker. Of course. The one. The only. only. And do you know what his real name is? Uh, yeah, it is. Oh, shoot. I mean, he's probably got, like, a name that we've all kind of probably heard throughout the time, but never really, like, put with it. Because I feel like... I can almost say his name, but like, yeah, I just can't seem you know, to piece it together. I, it, I'll it, look it up for you, man. I'll look it up. Yeah, he's, um, well, he's quite a, a, a persona. You know, he um, he is very good with uh, speaking. You know, a lot of the guys uh, that are wrestlers say, well, you know, uh, I can wrestle real good, but when you put them on a microphone, they sound like, you know, uh, what grade did you uh, graduate from or did you ever graduate you know so as the as the business of pro wrestling goes it it just you have to have somebody that's gonna get out there and and uh, really sell the show is what they're doing and, and he he does oh he um, he does I mean, I, I just looked him up, so his name is Mark William Calloway. Yeah. Better known Mark in Calloway. the ring by the name as The Undertaker. He's yeah. an American retired wrestler currently under the contract with WWE. He was born on March 24th, and he is 55 years old, it says. Because he was right. born in 1965. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is 6'10". Yep. That's a, that's a tall man. And 299 pounds. Woo! He retired back in June 21st of 2020. Well, yes and no. Well, um, that's that's just what his yeah. Wikipedia says. Um, it says his build weight is 309. That's a well, that's a hefty, hefty man. That uh, he he's. I, did I just do the John Cena hefty, hefty like commercial <laughs> like unknowingly like? He is, uh, you know, uh, I don't think he's doing it for the money. Uh, just like I don't think that, uh, you know, that he would, uh, he, he just retired after 30 years in the ring. And when he first started out, he, um, he just came out with using his name. And um, he was such a, a, a monster among men, you know. Uh, his size and everything and his strength so uh, 
he uh, they were they always try to get a, make somebody into a per, a, their persona and uh, what they did is they tried a couple different things a couple different names that he he went in under and um, he ended up do, uh, actually with the name Undertaker and it was kind of uh, it was kind of different because of the fact that um, people usually don't last uh, wrestlers don't last that long mm-hmm. um, he has had his share of, uh, of injuries too you know but um, and, and you get some big guys in there and um, they say well it's it, it's all fake well, it is and it isn't. I mean, it's fake about they know who's going to win. Okay, that's that's choreographed before. Um, the problem is, is um, you know, they they haven't played played out. And I don't know how if you knew this or not, but they the uh, referee has a. Um, a little thing in his ear where they will talk to the referee from um, at a spot in there, whether it comes from the back or if it comes to the uh, the media uh, media media out there in front. But and there's a, there's a, a couple different things like if uh, there's uh, the word would come to the to the the wrestler. The wrestler will then follow up with how long is it going to take? Two more minutes? Five minutes to the, you know, um, how are we going to do this? And if somebody is really hurt, there's also a um, a sign uh, a sign for that also. And there there is uh, you know there's quite a bit of communicating between um, between the front and the back. But you talk about big, big show. Uh, he he was a. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen him drag cars around. You know. Oh yeah. He's had much strength. The real other big guy was Andre the Giant. Yes. Now Andre, he was um, he was massive. Also, uh, he was uh, taller, I believe, and uh, I think he probably weighed more. He used to uh, drink quite a bit, and he used to eat a lot. Um, and a matter of fact, his hands were so big that they could—they uh, were saying that he could—you'd uh, be able to stuff um, uh, a coin, a silver dollar coin, uh, if you cut it out, and he would be able to put it on his finger. That's ah. uh, as big as his hands were. That's um, kind of crazy. Yeah, he was he was quite the uh, quite the guy. Also, uh, you know, there's um, yeah, that's it, a that's a sad loss in wrestling. Some of the people who have fallen for sure, because I mean, just amazing athletes, 
amazing athletes. And, you know, you were just talking about how people don't think uh, wrestling is real at times and stuff like that. But, I mean, some of the injuries are kind of crazy. Like, I was actually just looking through trivia for The Undertaker. And they said he had a crushed eye socket in 1995 when Mabel gave him a botched leg drop. He later had to wear a mask for several months under his eye socket, or until his eye socket had recovered. Um, I mean, that's a that's a pretty major injury. Oh, yeah. Um, also, it's interesting because he is one of the hundred greatest wrestlers um, inside the wrestling ring. He first won a WWF championship at a Survivor Series in 1991, defeating Hulk Hogan, who we know is one of my ultimates. Right. Um, you know, I love Hulk Hogan. I love Macho Man Randy Savage, Ric Flair. Like, we've been joking about for years that I'm going to be a little Hulk Hogan for Halloween one of these years. Sure. And I'm just sure. going to be running around saying his taglines. But I didn't realize. Do you know what, uh, did you know that he, that The Undertaker, his quote is, that wrestling ring is my yard, and I'm the big dog that runs that guard. And there's also another wrestler now that talks about he's the, the big dog. Oh, yeah? So everyone's trying to be the big dog of the yard now. Yeah. And, and uh, gosh, I can't remember his name. He is, uh, he just took quite a bit of time off because of, uh, he was afraid of the, of the virus. Oh, well, and it's understandable. I mean, I think uh, I think it was kind of crazy to see how many wrestlers ended up getting, um, you know, kind of laid I, off or retiring or whatever because of the coronavirus. I was also looking that um, it said in an ironic twist, he wrestled for a while under the name of Kane the Undertaker. Kane became the Undertaker's brother. Right. So... There's kind of some interesting stuff in there. They're also saying that now that he um, that he didn't lose a single match from so from December 1991 to 1993, he didn't lose one single match, and it was the longest defeated streak of the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this guy has got some. He's got some crazy things that he had achieved during that time. Well, and that match that he lost, uh, I believe it was with uh, uh, Les Lesser. And, uh, Lex, Le- Lex Luger was his last match in WCW. Right. Is and, that what you're talking about? No. Um, he was... When he first started, okay, um, he was... Under the name, like you said, he was uh, Kane. But they, uh, they, he, he ended up being called the Undertaker because of the, the, the uh, his, as he gets comes down to the ring of playing the, uh, um, you know, the funeral march, and uh, well, yeah. he's uh, he dressed like uh, like an Undertaker. Totally, he did. And his. One of his managers throughout the years was a, a manager called Paul Bear. And you'll usually remember yes. Paul Bear because he, this guy, I mean, he looks like death. 
you know. Yeah. I had eyes that, that were, you know, darkened in and everything, and he was something else. But did you know that Paul Bearer was a licensed mortician? Well, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you uh, talk about this guy, and then I just brought him up. And yeah, no, he's creepy as shit. Oh, he, he looks is. like he, he looks like um, yeah, he looks like someone that could yeah. really take care of a body. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I I I just I I can't believe these pictures of this person. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he and he's. Well, I mean, that's like, just part of it. You should hear him talk. Well, no, I mean, like, look at him when he's normal. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a normal dude. And then you got this one where you're just like, yeah, no, you're half dead. Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, and uh, he was uh, quite the character, too. Uh, he used to uh, walk out with with a urine and uh, saying that that was uh, the ashes of... Oh, um, of his latest of, victim? Of, yeah, of one of the... Uh, of one that fell. Yeah. But there, there is a lot, um, and, and you know, as we talked earlier, uh, how much is uh, these these wrestlers worth? What oh, are yeah. their pays and everything? He is, uh, The Undertaker is actually worth $17 million. Dang. So he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it for the, just to be still involved with the, with the business, yeah. you know? He's like part uh, of the legacy. Yeah, he he is a legacy, and he still draws crowds all over the place. Well, but, and you know, as we start to talk about, you know, we get into this, it brings me into a movie I shared with you the other day. So the crab keeper had never seen the great Mister John Wick, and what was kind of amazing was the crab keeper had talked to me about um, Baba Yaga. And Baba Yaga, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's kind of a witch-like creature. Um, You know, very long nose, all that stuff. And so I end up looking it up, and one of the things that comes up right away is John Wick. And I'm like, oh, I love John Wick. And so we look at it, and they do have one of a great kind of fight scenes. And they end up calling him, he isn't the boogeyman. He's the one that you sent after to kill the boogeyman. That is probably the coolest description of an assassin I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, you know, um, talking about assassins, there have been quite a few different assassins. And and, uh, and, and speaking about assassins, um, always goes back to the day that... Um, President got shot. Our, okay. Yeah. President Kennedy. Yep. He was uh, uh, supposedly shot by a rifleman that was up in the, the book depository. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been talk about that over and over and over on how many different people they felt that, um, uh, you know, that was involved in it. They mm-hmm. uh, know that there was more than one person. That's for darn sure. And about the closest uh, one that I think that I've I've heard is uh, there was uh, uh, two guys. They were hitmen, 
and uh, they brought, they came over from Italy. They flew on over. They, uh, they landed in Mexico. They stayed in Mexico for, I think it was three days. <coughs> then they came from Mexico to the United States and to uh, Dallas. Well, supposedly, one of them is, um, was stationed uh, actually by the, uh, the book suppository er, uh, there, mm-hmm. and the other one was on the uh, grassy knoll. Oh. So evidently, how the story goes is they turn around, they both shot, and then, um, well, everybody's scurrying in every different direction. They go back uh, and go back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. They, and then from Mexico, they they took a flight to uh, Italy. Wow! But, I've never heard this one before, and I mean, I've I've heard a lot of different ones, but I've never heard this one. That's a very interesting one that I've never heard of for sure. I uh, I just wow. That's an interesting one for me. Well, you know, and, and there's so many different things like uh, how did um, the, the, the vice president, and I, gosh, I can't remember his name at the time, but he, um, evidently, they didn't get along. And uh, so he was involved in having them you know, uh, assassinated, but who knows? But there's a lot of question marks going out about Jack Ruby. Uh, how did Jack Ruby, knowing his background, how did he get so close to him at the police station? Yeah. You know, uh, and um, I don't know. It's uh, that's something that, you know, I think you'll, we'll never find out exactly what, what it entails. No, but, um, no, I don't think we ever truly will. There's some weird and different stuff that you'll start to kind of, I think, hear more now. So that time has passed, and people, I think, are not quite afraid of consequences with coming out with some of the information, things like that. And so I've noticed, um, I've seen more and more cold cases get solved in 2020. Mm-hmm. And what was funny was. Um, I was kind of laughing as I was going through because some of the cold cases that have been solved were actually from people who had got like genealogy kits for Christmas and one guy he ended up getting arrested for like an old cold case murder and everything and when he ended up getting arrested he said those damn meddling kids and it was like you know it was such a play on words from the Scooby-Doo era but it was like he knew that his kids had gotten, his daughter had gotten these DNA kits for everybody for Christmas. And that was only a matter of time that something he had done when he was younger was not going to be unsolved anymore. And so, like, you hear stories of like that. And he said, like, you know, when the police came and knocked on my door, I already knew. Oh, yeah. that it was, you know, had to do with that. And he was like, it just came out of my mouth. And he was like, and now I'm known as the damn meddling kids guy. Like, I'm literally the Scooby-Doo, like, old neighbor that had, like, the, you know, weird lizard mask on that the police are, you know. And it's, you know, 
it's just so crazy because I don't think anyone ever expected that when they would get like a genealogy, you know, kit gift for Christmas and they would do it that some of the craziest, darkest secrets would end up coming out. And I'm sure there's so many family members, especially women, because obviously some of their stepping outs are now coming forward because people are finding out their daddy ain't who they thought their daddy was. Right. And luckily, I did my DNA kit and everything, (laughs) and pretty sure I'm still in place worth where I should be. It was interesting, though, to see how I ended up coming out at different... um, like portions of certain ethnicities compared to my sister who's five years older and we do look very similar but um I am quite a bit smaller I'm quite a bit darker like tan and everything and you know it's just it's interesting because it's like well I bet you she the genetics that she has in these areas made her look those ways and mine made me look this way. So, I don't know. That was kind of interesting. Well, you know, DNA is really interesting. Um, we, uh, I had a chance uh, to go down with a group of people down to uh, Ashland, uh, Oregon, to a, uh, a lab down there. And what it, what it is, is they... they um, it's a lab where they they usually send things from all over the world to say that um, you know like one of the things that he brought up as as we're taking a tour through here is he said well everybody everybody's probably seen this it looks like a jackrabbit with a mixture of other animals there oh yeah okay and he said it, it's it's not real. Yeah. Okay. It's just uh, somebody got the idea and <laughs> somebody he, had a fun time with some taxidermy. But you know, he was really interesting because he showed us a lot of things that where uh, people have got you know involved in and, and tried to uh, sell them. Um, he also he breached in a drawer and he came out with it looked like a, a fur. And he said, um, I'll, I'll show it to you. I, I don't want anybody to touch it, but I'll show it to you. He wore, you know, his, his gloves and everything. And it was pure white. And I mean, it was it was gorgeous, you know. Different level. Yeah, different level. And he said, this one here, um, it, w- it was illegal to shoot this animal. Uh-huh. Uh, and it came from some uh, little country. And uh, I forget how many thousands of dollars it was worth. Wow. Um, but through the under, you know... Uh, black market. Yeah, your black market. You got people who do just about anything. One of the things that he said, you know, um, tell you how the DNA has changed things. Um, he, he said, we, we found a, a, in an area somebody uh, had called up and said, hey, you might want to go out to this area. Yeah. There's a guy out there that are shooting bald eagles. Oh, you don't shoot the bald eagle. That's shooting America. Boy, I'll tell you. So he says, we went out there with the, the police, and uh, we come across this guy, and uh, we walked up to him, and he, you know, he 
said he, there was no doubt that he knew who we were. Uh, and so he said, uh, well, we're here to uh, see if, um, you know, you've got a report about shooting, shooting a bald eagle. He says, oh, no, no, that's, that's nothing. Yeah, it's not me or anything. He says, I haven't even seen any bald eagles here. And he says, oh, okay. And then he said, as we're talking, I'm looking down at his boot and his, and his uh, Levi's. And he said, I looked at uh, the Levi and it looked like there was some uh, stain there from something. And oh. he said, I've dealt enough with blood to know what it kind of looks like. So he said, what we did, um, I, I got a little uh, sample of that. And uh, the officer took him in, um, you know, to uh, get him processed and everything. He said, we went back and I run it in the DNA machine and he showed us this machine and it's it's something else, I'm telling you. And so he said, it came back that that was blood from a bald eagle. And uh, he said, oh no, no, it's not. Well, they checked his boot and his Levi and it was. And so they find him some enormous amount. amount and uh, he spent some time uh, in the Gray Bar Motel also. As he so, should. Yeah, as he should, but you know, uh, it was really fascinating to, uh, to to take that tour and uh, a lot of people don't even know that's there. And one of the other things he was mm-hmm. that was kind of funny about, he said, now how many of you guys watch these um, crime programs, you oh, know? Oh, like CSI shows that we love? CSI and all the different ones. And he says, you know, they'll go and they will pick up a, um, a shell of, of a bullet that's been, you know, Laying out. And she says, they will just go ahead and they'll pick them up and they'll put them in an envelope, mm-hmm. you know, two and three in an envelope. He said, do you realize we have gotten some like that. He says, but by the time we get them, they've been bouncing around in this envelope. Yeah. And you can't get any fingerprints on them after that. It scuffed them all up. Yeah, they're all scuffed out. So he says what they do is they use a pencil and they stick the uh, pencil into the empty of the shelf. And uh, that's how they send them in. But uh, so, very, very interesting person. I, uh, I'd love to take that tour again. So what was funny was when I had said taxidermy, I couldn't help but have this vivid memory at this time that I had um, I had a room, well, I had two roommates, and we had this one roommate, and we've spoken about her before. We call her Crazy Rachel, and I mean, it's not like we had a lot of Rachels in our, our group of friends. This right. was This was... The only one called Rachel, but I mean, it was almost like the warning when you would like talk about her because you never wanted anyone else to be put into the story or like shaded in this way. And uh, we end up having a three bedroom apartment and really nice girl has a good heart, but just I'm going to be generous and say she's scatterbrained. Um, so she ends up one day 
leaving the slime glass door open, freezes our little zebra Frenches to death. Um, so I'm super upset. And then the next, like, week, she ends up accidentally leaving the heater on in the pet room. And we had a um, African Pygmy Hedgehog. And then our roommate had a Savannah Monitor. Well, the Savannah Monitor ended up dying from the heat exhaustion because it didn't have water. And then she had left the heat on and, you know, it has its own heat in there. And she felt horrible because it was her boyfriend's Savannah Monitor. So she tried to make it better. So she took it to go get taxidermied. And I, I come home from work one day and my husband, he wasn't my husband at the time, he was my boyfriend, hadn't been home from work and she was home and I walk in and we have, you know, a mantle with the fireplace and everything and you have the light that comes down, she has it on and I walk in and I'm just like kind of taken back a minute and she doesn't get it you know, in a nice, friendly pose. No, she has it, like, claws out, teeth out, like, kind of aggressive stance. Like, it's mid-attack. And it's just standing there. And I call my husband, and I'm like, dude, you gotta get home before, before our roommate does. I was like, you're never gonna believe this, and I can't even tell you how far away are you. And he's like, I'm like, five minutes. I'm like, okay, hurry, get here, come in. And I just, I need to see your reaction when you come in. And so he comes in, and he's just like, what the actual fuck? And he, you know, he knows that this is probably the worst thing that you could have done. Like, our roommate hasn't even got over grieving over the animal, let alone when he comes in from work. And it's back from the grave. It's like Pet cemetery. It's like in the aggressive stance. She she just wanted him to be remembered as the warrior he was. Yeah, warrior. And we were just like, no, no, this is not this is not what you do with your boyfriend's animal you killed. And it was just it was the it was you know the pivotal moment to where we're like, you know, I think I think we're we're done living together. Like, I I just can't. And she had ferrets, and her ferrets would jump off the third story balcony. And they would get returned. And we're like, they're literally trying to commit suicide. Like, they don't want to live with you anymore. They're taking the plunge and hoping that they can roll, like, bounce and roll and, like, make it to a new home and that people won't find that it's your ferrets. But, you know, crazy Rachel. So, people, you know, like the little oracles. So, I went ahead and pulled them. One of them that I pulled today was scrying. So, to increase your intuition. So, if anyone out there has kind of been feeling a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more, I guess, feeling their own emotions, um, sitting in silence and understanding that silence and finding the power in it, just understand your intuition more. So, I pulled that as my first card. The second one was Bram Brambrack. And what's funny is I'm pulling again from the Halloween Oracle, which is one of my favorite ones. And I don't know if you've ever heard about Bram Brack Red. Have you? I, that doesn't sound familiar. So, there was one person who did this um, when I was younger at like a, I want to say it was in like kindergarten or elementary school or something. Like I had, I've had this done before. But basically what they end up doing is they take a loaf of bread and it has a piece of cloth. It has a pea. And it has usually like a small metal object, depending on um, where people, you know, have started their tradition. And basically, it's like, a, it's almost like 
I guess the equivalent of the fortune cookie of bread. So each person goes and cuts into it. Oh, okay. So it has a stick in it. It has dried fruits and raisins, flour, sugar, and salt. And so it's not like a sweet bread. It's like a loaf of, you know, just bread. But you're not really trying to eat the bread. You're more like kind of getting your fortune told from it. And so they put special objects that are hidden in it. And each one represents something different. So one is um, a traditional object like a coin, a pea, a stick, a ring, and a small piece of cloth. And so, depending on which one you get, depends on which part of, you know, your fortune it is. And if you don't get anything, you, you're probably having a bad day, is basically what, like, you know, because, I mean, it's like you're, like, a special one if you get one of those, or you got, like, uh, you may want to look over your back and, like, you know, type deal. Right. And then, the last one, graveyard, unnecessary fear. So, most people are free of a graveyard. Yes, they are. I'm not. And we've already uncovered that. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like this one keeps on coming up a lot for me lately. And then scrying. And I've talked to you a little bit about like the different types of divination that I do to just be able to be more peaceful and things like that. So maybe these cards aren't for anyone else except for me. But the scrying, I have been working with that more. And for those of you who don't know what scrying is, it's basically when you relax your vision into an object and you're able to see things. And it's a form of, um, I guess, like, uh, like mediumship or, you know, intuitiveness. And then, you know, with graveyards, I think it's also kind of interesting that we did talk about some of the fallen wrestlers and maybe we need to, uh, I guess, think about the people who have fallen in our life and give remembrance to them as well. So maybe that's where the graveyard comes from. That very well could be. I, uh, you know, I've I've lost uh, I've lost a lot of friends, um, you know, either from school or from where we we lived, and um, boy, some of them were just a, a shock. Uh, it's um, and it kind of stays with you, you know. Uh, it was just a just a, a horrendous thing. As a matter of fact, I had seen him um, probably going on a half hour. I dropped him off at, from work at his house, and uh, I guess they, uh, when his family come home, uh, he was already passed away, and he still had the needle stuck in his arm. Wow. And uh, it was really a, a, a shock because, you know, I, I knew something was, was bothering him on, on the drive home, um, but I didn't think it was anything like that. And uh, uh, next morning at work, uh, we found out that he had passed away. And, you know, um, it was just, uh, it just OD'd. Yeah. And, it, and it's a shame that it, his family had to find him that way. Um, it is so you know, hard. Especially with, with the kids. Yeah. You know, that that was really, that really uh, touched me. I, I uh, But I've, you know, like I said, I, thank God I've been 
you know, and still hanging in here after all these years. Hey, man, <laughs> you're still kicking. You're kicking hard. I don't think anyone's going to take you down anytime soon. And well, I mean, maybe I will after yeah. last night at dinner, which I did promise you that I was go- or <laughs> was no, yeah, it was last night. Totally. I did not do anything. Sitting there quietly eating my meal, and a couple of the people at the dinner table had found a straw and had put, you know, the wrapper over it and were blowing it at each other. I'm not involved in this. I'm quietly eating my meal, minding my own business, and the crib keeper <laughs> nails me right in the crease of my nose so hard that I actually had to like check it and so right away he knows like oh I messed up and you know my brother goes and puts the paper on so I can hit him with it I'm like oh no I don't need this you know you're getting <laughs> something way worse than this yeah well I and it's tell- like I know where the nerf tommy gun is yeah like oh you you <laughs> well i hadn't uh, i hadn't noticed at the time uh but you were, had a fork and a knife mm-hmm. that you were uh working on uh, a dinner with and I, and after i did it i thought oh man well and this is bad timing on my part i'm not that quick with those type of you know utensils um it is weird though because we have noticed like if i drop something i kick it and so the amount of times that I've kicked a glass and had it shatter is just crazy. And it's like, you would think that this would be one of those things where your brain would be like, something dropped, don't kick it. Like, yep. something dropped that's valuable, they're precious, don't kick it. And it's like, no, what do I do? And I just hope to God that I never drop nutmeg and then just like, instinct. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be the well. worst thing ever. No, I, I, you know, I'm a little leery of it myself because I always have this feeling that I'm going to fall when I'm out with you and I could just see her just kicking the crap out of me halfway through the house. It's only like one kick normally. Normally. It's just one kick. It's like something, it's almost, I feel like I could be a really good maybe hacky sack player. I don't know, but, well... We're getting close to the end of this uh, episode, I think, sir. So, without further ado, I think we should wrap it up. Um, it is that time. All right. Well, later, witches. Later, and we'll see you next time around. Oh, and happy Valentine's Day. Yes. Wasn't that the creepiest voice you could ever have? a little as well as the prep keeper maybe as well as hopefully you guys so maybe we'll do something similar to this in the future maybe i don't know wait what do you think maybe i don't know uh saint patrick's day maybe's got some cool stuff i don't know i mean there's probably some cool history there it's gotta be beyond eating you know corned beef and drinking green beer so i hope you guys feel like your brain maybe opened up a little bit and without further ado later witches